Well, one of the most enchanting wonders of summer in New England is low tide at Wingersheek Beach in the North Shore community of Gloucester, and the locals there like to call it Winga. If you happen to strike it just right, you can watch the tide pull back its waters to the sea, unveiling a sandbar that extends far out into the Atlantic, beckoning every beachgoer to come out from under their umbrellas and to walk on the land that was only water moments ago. Well, a couple weeks back, my family headed up to Winga for the day at the beach, and we were blessed to just time it just right. As we dug holes and played in the tidal pools, we watched the waters gently begin to retreat. And the ocean gave us an invitation to walk out into the newly resurrected ground. Well, the moment was just perfect for us. Our boys were freshly changed, they were fed, and the usual fussing came to a grinding halt. Let's switch over to this. It came to a grinding halt, and uh, there was no interference with their microphones. It was perfect. <laughs> and so we loaded everybody up on our double jogging stroller and started to make our way to set sail on foot to the 20 to 30 minute trek out to the ocean to marvel at God's extraordinary, awe-inspiring creation. Only God could have taken this small beach and turned it into such a wonderfully wild, magical kingdom. At the furthest most edge of the sandbar, we looked back to where the land uh, that we had just walked along, and amidst it, there were parted waters. And I told Aaron, this may be the closest that any of us ever get to crossing the Red Sea like Moses did. It felt like we were in the middle of a miracle. Well, looking out back at the beach from that far out, one cannot help but to reflect. To reflect on not only how far we've walked out into the sea, but to reflect on how far we have come in life. To think about all that we've been through. How we've gotten to where we are now. And there were almost seemingly impossible odds that have probably got us to here. And so we pause and we marvel and we give thanks. But far out here, you can't help but also think about the possibilities that exist, the possibilities that lie hidden just beneath the surface of your life, just beyond the purview of your sight, the new ground that you would like to walk on in your faith, your work, and your family, and your life. Low tide at Wingersheek Beach leaves you with a holy longing to step away from the shoreline of what you've grown comfortable with in your life and to take the next step toward experiencing new growth and new ground, new terrain, greater progress, no matter what the risk. Well, today we are beginning a brand new series we are calling Gaining Ground, and it picks up right where we left off last week with the conclusion of our series called The Chase. And now it sets our focus on what lies ahead. About a month from now, I hate to break the news, but students are going to be going back to school, workers are going to return to the office from vacation, and new goals, new deadlines, new priorities, new rhythms are going to be established and so in the coming weeks, we're probably going to think questions like these. What might make this new school year, this new ministry year, different? What new growth do we hope to experience? What higher goals might we aspire to reach? 
How might we gain more ground for what matters most in this life, more this year than in years past? Well, these questions lie at the heart of what we hope to explore in this new series. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to do a survey of the many ways the word ground is used to convey God's idea in Scripture and God's hope for us to gain new ground, to experience more growth in progress and what matters most. We'll explore themes like holy ground, which Pastor Brian will share next week, and I hope you come back for that. Uh, We'll look at the promised land, uh, the good soil, the command to let the ground rest, and then we'll finish in the Bible's final book, the last chapters, as we discover and envision the city that God is forming out of the raw materials of earth. Well, maybe you're here today because you've recently moved to the area and you're hoping to gain ground in your career path or your educational journey. Or maybe you're here just trying out church because maybe you're curious or somebody invited you or perhaps what you've been pursuing in life hasn't quite worked out and you're looking for something else. Or maybe you're feeling overwhelmed or just set back right now, perhaps is trying to survive, aching for some kind of breakthrough. And this idea of progress kind of sounds daunting. Well, if that's you, that is okay. Wherever you are today, our hope and prayer is that you individually and that we collectively as a church may prepare our hearts to be a part of what God is doing within us and among us over this next school and ministry year. And so no matter what obstacles you may be facing or challenges that lie ahead, know that God, he is calling you, God, he loves you, and that God is with you on the journey ahead and always. So to get started, as we learn to gain ground, we're going to begin at the first ground that we find in the Bible, the Garden of Eden, where God has placed Adam and Eve and has given them and given all of us a commissioning, a calling in which we are to live out from the identity that he has established in us. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn with me to the very beginning, Genesis 1, starting with verse 26, as we can learn how to begin to gain ground for what matters most. This is Genesis 1. Starting uh, in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. That's probably the creepiest verse in all of Scripture, right there. Verse 27, so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the earth or have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And then jumping down to chapter two, verse 15, which picks up this theme. So the Lord God put the man, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. 
Now, these verses are absolutely loaded with significance, and libraries of books have been uh, could fill uh, could be have been written to be able to unpack the deep meaning of what the, this is all about. But to help frame the importance of this text for our purposes today, let's consider three implications that this has for us in order for us to gain ground. So the first implication for gaining ground is that we would cultivate character. That we'd cultivate character. Now our character is the very core of who we are. On the sixth day of creation, we learn that God has created people in his image, in his likeness, resembling his character and nature. So I want you, wherever you are in any of our locations today, to look around at the people sitting around you. Try and see if you can make some awkward eye contact with anybody you're now just looking at. But seriously, take a look at these folks. Every person that you are setting your eyes on right now is an image bearer of God. The likeness of God is upon them. An aspect of their character resembles the very character of our king. And that's not just for people here in church. That is for people everywhere, for every human being that has ever lived and lives now in our world. They're made in the image of God. But the imprint of God is stamped upon them. That goes for every foreigner. That goes for every prisoner. That goes for every enemy. That goes for even you and for me. We've been given a character by God that is congruent in some way to the very nature of and character of God himself. So while that image has been tainted or kind of watered down because of our sin, nevertheless, the enduring stamp of the creator remains on each and every one of us. The people around you and yourself included, these are not mere mortals. So to be made in God's image has two primary meanings and things that we need to unpack here. So the first is this. We were meant to experience a personal, relational connection with God. Personal relational connection. In other words, we weren't simply meant to know a whole lot about facts and theology about God. We're meant to know him personally and intimately like we know a close friend or parent or child. We weren't meant to just find out about God second-handedly through a preacher or through a book or through a relative. God invites us to know him directly in a first-hand experiential way. This life with God is what we were made to discover and to deepen throughout our lives. That's why we as a church exist, and our mission statement says, we are here to discover life with God for the good of the world. Having God's image upon us and knowing him is the first part about what it means to be made in his likeness. And the second phrase that we use in our mission statement for the good of the world really conveys what the second part of about what being made in God's image is all about. And here's the second part. This being made in God's image means we were given a creative capability to reflect God in all that we are and all that we do. So when we say we are to gain ground by cultivating our character, we are in essence saying that we are to strive to reflect the very nature of God in an increasing measure within us and all around us, everywhere that God has placed us. 
Now, Jesus, he gives us the full picture of what that looks like, about what it means to embody in our own character the very nature of God. So given that, essential to living life and gaining ground in this life for what matters most is that we make every effort in joining in the Holy Spirit's work of helping us put on the very character of Christ. Imagine if your inner life was the same inner life of Jesus. That's what cultivating character is all about. And that's what God invites us to so that our lives, our, our rhythms, our countenance, the way that we carry ourselves would reflect the very beauty, the very truth, and the goodness of our God. That's what we were made for. Now, in a couple of weeks, we'll talk a little bit more about what it means to cultivate the, the character of Christ and how we can do that. But for now, let me say this. There is a converse relationship between our connection to God and our reflection of him to the outer world. The stronger we are connected with God, the stronger our reflection of him will be. But the weaker our connection to God, the weaker our reflection to be. And when we have a weak reflection of God, things like anger and lust and pain and fighting and injustice, these things start to be what emerge. So we need to have a strong connection to God so that our world might reflect his character and his love more and more. Without that connection, there is little reflection. Just to try and illustrate this a little bit more, let me talk about my connection to my older son, Dallas. I guess I have to pay him a dollar. That's what Tom Van Antwerp does when he names his kids in their sermons. So Dallas, you're going to get hooked up after this. Here's a buck. But... Uh, Dallas and I have a really tight relationship, and so he reflects a lot of the personality qualities that I have, a lot of the habits for good or for ill that I have. And one of the negative ones we started to discover has been happening when we walk in and out of our front door. And as we go in and out of our front door, Dallas now has the habit of going above our railing, lifting his head up over it, and going, Puh! And I'm like, what is he doing? And the next day, I walked outside the door. And what did I realize? I just did. I just spit over the railing. And uh, Dallas has been watching me go in and out of the house now, spitting over the railing for months. And now, what does he do when he goes in and out of the house? He reflects his connection to his father, and he spits over the railing. So that's a very negative portrait of what works here in this dynamic. But the idea is that we will reflect those who we are most connected to. And so think about who you might be reflecting now. Are you reflecting God the way that you would love and like to? If not, then stay more and more connected to him. And if you are reflecting God, may you press in. May you lean in to be closer to him than ever before. What next step might you take today to help closen and deepen and widen your connection to God. Because with that, we will be able to cultivate the character of Christ. And just one last word before we move on to our next point. If you're here today and just feeling like, I don't think I can gain any ground in life. It just, my life feels like it's at a standstill. There's just circumstances that are beyond my control. And I just feel stuck right now. I believe through the Holy Spirit's power, God can enable you, no matter what circumstances or conditions that you find yourself living in, that through his power, he can make these situations 
the ideal situation for you to be able to cultivate Christ-like character where you are. That might be the real invitation for whoever you are, wherever you find yourself in a tough place here and now. How might you become more and more like Christ? How can you reflect his love? So the first way that we can gain ground for what matters most is to cultivate character. Secondly, we need to increase our capacity. Here's what I mean by that. We are to increase our capacity to help all things. That's all people and places and creation to thrive and to flourish. One way I've heard this passage illustrated is to imagine that you have been placed in a world that is filled with Legos. There's like the Garden of Eden of Legos. They were naked and not ashamed in their Lego outfits. That'd be pretty awesome, right? Well, God has given us a seemingly infinite variety of pieces that we can connect together to build a world that would give us a deep sense of satisfaction and a deep sense of accomplishment that would be a blessing to our neighbors and would reflect the very glory of God. And essentially, at its core, this is, in fact, the kind of world that we find ourselves living in. But sadly, because of the negative impact of sin on the world, all the pieces don't quite fit together like they originally did. Work and rest have been substituted for toil and leisure, which are diminished versions of God's originally good design. And yet, he is still in the midst of this fallen world, given us an incredible job description to fulfill. So in this text, we find what that is through the five imperative verbs, not optional suggestions, but things that we are called to do that he says here in Genesis. And here are the five verbs that are kind of strung together like interlocking links on a chain. Be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, and have dominion. Now to be fruitful and multiply and to fill implies two things, procreativity and productivity. Procreativity and productivity. Now often when we hear this passage, we almost immediately think, go make some babies and reproduce like them bunnies do, right? But that's certainly a part of God's general design. And parenting undoubtedly is a good and holy and significant vocation and calling that should never ever be looked down upon as inferior work. But with that said, if you are single and or do not have children, I want you to hear this very clearly. In no way are you living a diminished human existence. In no way, shape, or form. Jesus, who is the very embodiment of what it means to be a full human being, to live a full human life, was never married and never had any children. And yet he lived a completely full life. I want to make sure we're all clear about that. So essential to this command so much is not about just procreativity. It's about productivity. To be creative at taking what you have been given and to shape it in such a way that it would be very good and useful for others. Author and Needham native Andy Crouch, one of my favorite writers these days, says this, God made wheat and we make bread from it. God made grapes, and we made wine. Wheat is good, but bread is very good. Grapes are good, but wine, that is very good. Hesitant amens out there. That's okay. (laughs) 
But that is what productivity is all about, taking what we've been given and making something beautiful and useful from it. So closely related to this idea is the verb that we find, subdue. Subdue implies that people are to make the earth's resources really beneficial for them and others, like we've just talked about. They're to investigate the raw materials of the world and to use them in such a way that humanity would be blessed in increasing ways. This command is what really forms the foundation for much of the scientific and technological exploration and work that is done, which many of you here in our Grace Chapel congregation are a part of. And so we want to say thank you for your work, and may God continue to bless uh, the subduing work that you do at your companies. So thank you. And lastly, people are given dominion, or that's another word for saying that we have been given responsibility from God to shape the world, to care for it. That's ecologically, environmentally, economically, and socially. I'll confess that I think as Christians, we have a lot of ground to gain when it comes to our stewardship of the environment and the world. And I'll say I do personally. I hope and pray as we go throughout the series that we might give a much greater consideration for the environmental impact that we have. And may we take some steps forward to live more simply uh, and to live in a much more sustainable way. Can I get an amen from anyone on that? While I was doing some research on this sermon, I stumbled across a website here uh, about a farm in Concord, Mass, right down the street, that's fittingly called Gaining Ground. It's a nonprofit farm that grows organic food to help feed the more than 700,000 people in Massachusetts that struggle, struggle with hunger on a daily basis. So much of their work is supported by volunteers, and so I decided earlier this week to spend uh, the morning to work on the farm. And what I learned was not only fascinating, but incredibly inspiring. In pulling weeds along rows of kale and carrots and cilantro, I got to speak and work alongside the farm manager, Doug. And Doug, he shared with me about how when this farm began, and it's still to this day, it's just a 3.5-acre plot of land, their little footprint, as they call it. When it first began, they were able to grow about 25,000 pounds of food, which they give all of it away. And so he said it is his goal, it is what his driving mission in life is, is to see how he can take this physical challenge and mental challenge of trying to yield as much food from this little footprint as he possibly can so that many more people can be fed. And so as he's gone about this work of trying to maximize the footprint that he has been entrusted to, with, uh, a few years ago, they grew over 60,000 pounds of food. Then last year, they grew over 80,000 pounds of food. And he told me to, uh, this week that they are on track this year to grow more than 100,000 pounds of food, organic, delicious food that will go to bring life-sustaining nourishment to many people in our commonwealth that deeply and desperately need it. Isn't that just amazing? <laughs> So I walked away from that conversation reflecting on how each and every single one of us, we have been given a footprint. Think about your footprint for a moment, if you would. Your thoughts, your energy, your home, your work, your neighborhood, your network. Now, some people's footprints might be a little bigger than others, but that's not the point. The key question that should drive us is this. How can we maximize what we have been given for the greatest impact for God and for the world.
And so I think from this Genesis text, we can learn this critical idea that I hope we walk away from remembering and reminding ourselves of often. God made us to multiply for good what he has given us by his grace. God made us to multiply for good what he's given us by grace. We've done nothing to earn this call or this wonderful responsibility. It's a gift. And so we are to increase our capacity through training, through stewardship, through all that we've been given to make the biggest impact in the world positively as we can. God made us to multiply for good what he's given us by grace. And so to gain ground, we first have to cultivate our character. And then secondly, we have to increase our capacity. And then thirdly, we need to strive to expand the kingdom. Expand the kingdom. I think the heart of being fruitful and multiplying or gaining ground is about answering the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I think building God's kingdom here on earth is the essence of what this Genesis 1 calling is all about. I've been blessed to get to know two people here at Grace who I truly believe embody what a lifestyle of kingdom expansion looks like. And they're our mission partners, Todd and Leslie Eggleson, who uh, serve in the organization called Peer Servants. And I've invited them to come today to share with us how we might learn to begin expanding God's kingdom on our very footprint. Would you just welcome them across all of our locations today? See you, Todd. Welcome. Leslie, great to see you. So Todd and Leslie, would you begin just by telling us a little bit about yourselves and peer servants and how long you've been here at Grace Chapel? Well, I'll start. Todd and I actually met in Nigeria where I was working among women who had been trafficked into prostitution and helping them to find new life in Christ. And Todd would come over to Nigeria as a microfinance consultant. And uh, both of us loved what we were doing so much that most of our friends thought we would never get married. But one of the things we shared in common as singles was sharing our home with a lot of different people. And that's something that we continue to do after we got married. And two of the special people that God brought into our home, into our family, was actually through the foster care program. About 10 years ago, we became the parents of a teen mom who was from South Sudan and had grown up in a refugee camp in East Africa. And she had a two-year-old son. And so on the same day, God gave us the privilege of becoming both parents and grandparents. <laughs> That's remarkable. Wow. So we head up an organization called Peer Servants. And Peer Servants is a global discipling community of uh, over 150 amazing volunteers, many of whom are right here in Grace Chapel this morning. Um, and they come alongside of 10 microfinance organizations around the world, in Africa, Eastern Europe, Asia, and Latin America. And those partnering organizations are actually currently serving around 200,000 of the materially poor through microfinance, through education, and through youth empowerment. Uh, regarding uh, Grace Chapel, I've been a member for about 34 years, and my wife about half of that. Wonderful. I got some catching up to do. I've only been here seven. But uh, now when I think about 
gaining ground and building and expanding the kingdom, when that thought came across my mind, I almost immediately thought of you both and how much you just are passionate about this. So I was wondering, Leslie, could you share with us the definition that uh, you use uh, to describe the kingdom of God and where that came from? And then, Todd, maybe picking up on that, could you share the acronym that you've kind of uh, created to help really make this you know, abstract idea of the kingdom very concrete and much more tangible for us to understand? Well, in Peer Servants, we actually spent some time thinking about that verse in, in Matthew, Matthew 6.10, where in Jesus' prayer, in his vision, that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we realized that most of us didn't really understand what the kingdom was. And we knew that if the kingdom was to come to earth as it is in heaven, it had to be more than just heaven someday. And then how could we seek first the kingdom if we didn't know what it was? So our volunteers and our partners from around the world actually took a year to go through the Gospels and look for every passage that talked about the kingdom and try to understand what it was saying. And we came up with a definition. And the definition of the kingdom is a place and a time where Jesus reigns. And as a result, we live and as a result, people honor and worship him. So that's the, the spiritual aspect of the kingdom. Then enjoy a loving and right relationship with each other and creation. So then that captures both the social and the stewardship aspect of the kingdom. Live with sufficiency and dignity. So we see the material aspect of the kingdom. Have access to power to overcome the forces of evil and do amazing good. Experience truly abundant life and extend such a kingdom to others. And so we took that concept of the kingdom a little further into this acronym, and it goes like this. Uh, K, the, the kingdom is ruled by a king. Every kingdom has to have a king. And the king of this kingdom is Jesus. He's an extremely benevolent and gracious king. But it is a one-king kingdom, not a two-king kingdom. <laughs> and the greatest threat that you face to not experiencing the kingdom is if you try to make yourself the king of your kingdom. That's a good line. I, Say that once more for us. That's really good. That's it's good. a one-king, not a two-king kingdom. Yes. I, the kingdom, is inverted. By the world's standards, this kingdom is upside down. You know, Dave preached a couple weeks ago that if you want to be first in this kingdom, you have to be the servant of all. It's a kingdom that you have to be like a child to enter. And it's a kingdom that if you experience it, you, even if you're first in the world, you're going to be willing to become last so that the last can become first. It's also in a kingdom that's near and now. It's not just for heaven someday. But we should be asking ourselves, what is heaven like? so that we can be active in working with the Holy Spirit to extend that kingdom of heaven to earth. G, the kingdom is global. God has given different strengths to different people around the world. In our part of the world, we experience quite a bit of the material aspects of the kingdom. So we should be extending that to those who aren't experiencing that. But there are some others around the world who are experiencing more of the social and the spiritual aspects of the kingdom than we are, and we should be open to them extending that to us. D, the kingdom is difficult to enter. Now this may surprise you because you say, hey, salvation is free. 
but do a word search in BibleGateway.com or a sim, uh, you know, similar search engine on two words, kingdom and enter. And you'll be amazed at the consistency with which Jesus said, this kingdom is going to be difficult to enter. Related to that, oh, it's for the obedient. If you want to experience the kingdom, you have got to do what Jesus told you to do or told you how to live. And then finally, M, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. Think about this little mustard seed. It's amazing that packed in that mustard seed is everything that's needed. Just add a little water and sun, and it can grow into a huge bush. Jesus compared the kingdom to the mustard seed. And the fact is that each of you are very much like that, that mustard seed. God has put in you everything that's needed, led by his word and his spirit, to accomplish much for the kingdom. Thank you so much. That definition and acronym is so, so helpful and important. I encourage you to make sure to jot that down or snap a photo if you haven't done that already. Uh, one of the things I love about how you guys have chosen to live and what's really embedded in your lifestyle is that you are thinking about how do we create the conditions of the kingdom right where we are, thinking what's it like and how do we embody it. So would you share a little bit about in your own home life how you have worked to bring the kingdom of God right where you are and live? Mm -hmm. So if we go back to our daughter, when we were going through the interview process to become foster parents, our daughter interviewed us. And her very, very first question to us, I will never forget, was, are you going to make me go to church? <laughs> now, you could kind of understand that question, and we could certainly understand it because our daughter had lost both of her biological parents in the Civil War in South Sudan. And so she had a lot of questions and doubts about God. Um, and Les and I discussed it and decided, you know, we want to make our home a place where she will experience the kingdom of heaven on earth. So that started with, we've got to make Jesus the king of this home. We want the way we speak to each other to be the words of Jesus. We want the way we love each other to be like Jesus with love. And we want our children to be able to see us coming before him with our needs so that they can rejoice with us when they see God answer those prayer requests. So bit by bit, we saw our daughter's view of God change. Eventually, uh, she married a Canadian who was also a South Sudanese refugee. Um, and before she moved to Canada, her, one of her last questions to us was, how do I find a good church? That's wonderful. I love that. I think so many of us as parents are constantly worried about how do we make sure our children can come to believe in what we do. And so often we can feel tempted to want to kind of force our faith upon our mm -hmm. kids. But I think what you're sharing is that inverted idea of mm -hmm. saying that let's try instead to create the kind of conditions of the kingdom that would just give people a draw and a sense to want to be a part of it. So mm -hmm. uh, could you finish by just giving all of us a, an encouragement for some next steps to take if we want to cultivate the kingdom of God uh, on the footprint that kind of God has given us? I'd say a, a good place to start is in the Gospel of Matthew just reading it and rereading it and looking for those kingdom passages. And every time you find one, you know, ask yourself, am I living this? Am I experiencing this kingdom of heaven here on earth? And if you're finding that you're not, maybe just starting with the question, is Jesus the king of my life? Mm -hmm. 
And then remember, too, that the Bible calls us to be ambassadors, ambassadors of Christ and his kingdom. Every ambassador has an embassy. So ask Jesus, Jesus, where is my kingdom embassy? Is it in my home? Is it in my workplace? Is it in school? Is it the ends of the earth? But wherever your kingdom embassy may be, then ask the Holy Spirit to help you develop a plan to extend more of the kingdom into that place. That's a great encouragement. Can we thank Todd and Leslie for sharing their lives, their story and wisdom with us? Thank you so much. Well, to wrap things up, we have covered a lot of ground here today. We started at the beach. We walked through the garden. We played with some Legos. We pulled weeds. We heard stories of what God is doing locally and all over the world. And we have heard how God has written a beautiful family story. His kingdom, my friends, has come and it continues to grow. And he is inviting all of us to be a part of that work to help us gain ground for what matters most in life. I believe this is going to be a great journey over the next five weeks ahead. So I hope and pray that you would come with an expectation to hear from him, to be trained. I want to encourage you to think about and be praying about who might you invite to come and be a part of this journey with us over these next several weeks. But to prepare us for what lies ahead, I'd love to leave us with a simple practice any of us can do to help take our first steps toward gaining ground. And this practice is what I'm going to call a kingdom prayer. Kingdom prayer. And to pray a kingdom prayer first, kind of as Leslie said, identify what is your embassy or your footprint, to use that metaphor. Maybe your home or your workplace or your church and think about how you might pray for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done right there. One of the ways I'm going to try and do this is to actually walk the perimeter of both the inside and the outside of my home nearly every day to pray that God's kingdom would in fact come and that I might be able to see how I can personally cultivate those conditions of the kingdom as best as I am able. I encourage you to get to work early and perhaps pray through your office before everybody gets there or to walk around the building and pray in this way. I encourage us to pray and come early before for whatever church service you worship at, at whatever campus you're a part of, and pray that his kingdom would come and that people would have an expectancy and a receptivity to sense what God is doing. And I believe as we all engage in this prayer that we will begin to see ways that God is nudging us to be a part of what he is doing to help make this world that we've been given and responsibility for more and more like heaven, just the way that God would want it. So as we do that, just imagine what new ground might emerge right before our eyes. And so may God, my brothers and sisters, multiply for good what he has given to us by his grace, personally and collectively as a church in the days to come. May it be, Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this incredible calling that you have placed on our lives. And I pray we would respond to that calling first by 
making sure we can be as connected to you as we possibly can be through prayer, through community here at church, through worship, through our work, through our service. Whatever next step people need to take today, God, I pray you would give them the courage to do that. And as they take those steps, God, may it never just be for our own fulfillment, but may it be for the good of those around us. So may your kingdom come through our work. May your kingdom come through our prayers. May your kingdom come in and through our lives for your great glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.